0: Just that picture that I shared earlier brings a lot of perspective to just the, the circumstances around us. And one of the things that I've realized recently is we are in an incredibly, incredibly fruitful place. And there's an amazing opportunity that we have living in the area that we do. And God's busy doing something. Went to the the KZN Elders Connect on on Thursday at Glenridge and not only isolated in this area of the Dolphin Coast but across KZN God is doing something amazing and there's been some incredible prophetic words over this province and and then even more specifically over this area and words of lighthouses being planted and leading the way through through treacherous waters so that people know where to how to navigate and we've seen an incredible just stirring on the hearts of people to come and plant in this region and we're a byproduct of that and all of a sudden there's churches that are are rising up and and That's because there's a fruitfulness and God is busy doing something. But the flip side of that is when we are working in accordance with what God's doing, the enemy wants to hinder and to come against and to thwart the plans of God so that we cannot be effective. And the reality is that if the enemy can get us to a point where we are intimidated by what he's doing, we start to be stifled in our ability to advance the kingdom. And again, the word that John shared with me at the beginning of this year is the kingdom is taken by force. And we know this, but the reality in what that means is when you are trying to take something by force, invariably you're pushing another force back. And if we're going to take ground, we have to push the enemy back and we're going to face opposition. And we've seen there's something happening with opposition across... um, across this region and as much as there's the supernatural fruitfulness we ought to be aware that for those prophetic words to come to fruition is a massive hindrance in terms of the plans of the enemy and because of that he's gonna want to fight against us so the title of this message is advancing in the face of opposition and the reason I'm sharing this today is it's coming off the back of one, the first meeting that we've had this year of just the litmus test for our spiritual effectiveness. Where are we and what are we doing and are we taking heed of the, the outworking of our lives? Are we looking at the things that are going on in our lives and making sure that we're pressing into the things of God and allowing Him to do what He has to do so that we are effective? in our core effective in the the instructions the promises that he's given us and allowing him to do a mighty work in us the bible gives us two facets of responsibility with working out our call on the one hand it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling that's our responsibility on the other hand it says he who began the good work brings it to completion so you've got this this dual responsibility of us and him working simultaneously so that we can come to a place of fruitfulness then we went through our vision and we saying lord what are the promises that you are speaking over us in this region so that we can be effective So we're checking our personal walk, but then corporately, what are the things that you've spoken over us, Lord? What are the plans that you have for us? A lady came to Shanae and I in that meeting, and she shared a prophetic word about a a venue for us. And there was a stirring in our hearts where this randomly we're contending for a venue, and someone comes up and says, meeting in your home is not not the, the end result. God's got something planned for what's going to happen in this place. And she started sharing about a picture she had of palm trees, not knowing that we live in Palm Lakes. Um, Just little things, and I got quite emotional. I actually started choking up while she was sharing this, because what she was saying could not have just been strange coincidence that some lady just wants to come and be nice and and encourage. but you could see that God had placed something on her heart for us. You say, yes, Lord, there's promises over what we're doing. There's confirmation of us staying here and being obedient to the call. We keep going. So God's got plans over us. But, but for those plans to come to a place of fruition, we know that we're going to face opposition. And the point of what we're doing is that we are, are trying to advance against this enemy. And, and this morning is, if we're going to take heed of where we are, if we're going to walk into the promises, we've got to be aware that we are going to face opposition. And this is Isaiah 58 says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, but what it doesn't say is that no weapon will be formed against you. So the, the, the statement is that you will face opposition, but understand when you face opposition, the opposition is not going to prosper. So going into this, I wanted us to get the perspective of that pale blue dot so that we could see the bigness of God. Not that we can see how little our problems are, but how little our problems are in comparison to our King. I want to share a story and we're going to go through 2 Chronicles 20. And it's a a passage of scripture that Shanae and I worked through a bit this week. Just in light of going through our time of prayer and fasting, and it's, it's a passage that she she came across, and we've worked through some of it. Not just felt for us as a church, it's good to take heed of this and to learn something from people who have gone ahead and have fought battles. And how does that apply to us? And what does that mean so that we too can be effective in fighting our battles? So the context of this is the. The, the Israelites are, are facing massive opposition and news comes to Jehoshaphat and, and he starts to try and figure out how do they overcome the opposition that they're facing. So if we read from, I'm going to go through the whole chapter so bear with me. Um, I'm going to try and read through fairly quickly but hopefully this paints a bit of a picture of the context in which this unfolds. So from verse 1 it says, after this the Moabites and the Ammonites, And with them, some of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. He faced opposition. They came against him. They were there to defeat him. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar. That is Engedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid... And set his face to seek the Lord. For me, I hope that is my response in the midst of fear. Is the moment that I'm faced with a multitude and I look at this and go, oh, oh. That my direct response or my natural response is to go and seek the face of the Lord. It says, so then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast, a fast throughout all Judea. I'm sorry, of, throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek the help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So they started to gather and they started to seek God. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to stand against you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they lived in it and have built for you in in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine... We will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir uh, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt. And whom they avoided and did not destroy. So he's talking about the nations that God said when they were coming out of Egypt, going into the promised land, do not attack these people. So that's the people who he's referring to. He says, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession. Love the statement that he says, drive us out of your possession. Not out of our possession, out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. When God gives us stuff to inherit, we ought got to be rem- reminded of the fact that it actually belongs to Him. And it goes on to say, For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Think of Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from uh, the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. What is our perspective in the midst of opposition? Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, and son of Benaiah, son of Jael, uh, son of... Mataniah, a Levite son of Asp, in the midst of the assembly. It's amazing how, when this guy starts to address the assembly because the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, there's this affirmation of his identity before he starts to speak. And there's something at side note of what, what I'm wanting to share this morning, but there's something of that when God speaks to us, sometimes he needs to affirm our identity before he. Like the boldness comes upon us and who we're going to be and what we're going to say. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed as this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So that song that we listen to now by Phil Wickham and as we're worshipping the battle belongs to you is based on this passage of scripture. It says, Do not be afraid and not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours but God's. They've already identified that the possession of the land is not theirs as his. They've just been given it as an inheritance but it belongs to him and now... God's saying, but understand that this battle is not yours. So if the possession of the land belongs to him, surely the battle is his as well. And he's reminding them of, you understood the fact that this is my land. This is my my possession. If someone's going to come against it, who are they coming against? Are they coming against you, or are they coming against me? If, If something happens and we're renting a place and something happens, invariably they go to the owner of that place and deal with him or deal with them, not with the tenants. We get the privilege of being tenants into the things that God owns. But then the battle becomes his as well. Tomorrow... Go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your possession, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. basically saying, rock up, be ready for battle, but understand that all you're going to be doing is standing and witnessing the battle unfold before you. To stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Why? Because if you look at the enemy and if you look at God, the enemy is insignificant in comparison. The enemy fits on the pale blue dot. The pale blue dot is microscopic in comparison to the span in which he's measured the, the heavens. I often say of David, and you've probably heard me say this before, that the fight between David and Goliath was incredibly unfair. Not because Goliath was a giant and David was small, but when you compare Goliath to God and know that the battle was him, Goliath never stood a chance. So we often look at it and think, oh, we've got to fight these giants, and, and no, but David walked upon the, the, the battleground, looks at this giant and says, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine." You don't say that unless you see the deliverance of God standing behind him and recognize this guy has no chance. I was reminded as we were worshipping of a scene from the original movie, the Beethoven movie. And it's going back to some of our childhoods. But, but in that scene, there's this one moment where the little boy uh, is being chased home by I think it's like four bullies and he's quite a small scrawny guy and these bullies are chasing him and and he gets to a point where his fear has become overwhelming and he realizes actually enough is enough and he turns and he faces these four guys and the moment he raises his fists panic and fear set in on the faces of the four bullies Absolute panic and absolute fear and they start to tremble and he looks down at his his, as his fists as he sees them running away from him. He turns around and he walks in the house and he's got this kind of, I did this. Unbeknown to him, in that moment Beethoven, his dog, stood behind him and started to bare his teeth at these four young boys. And they realized they could not withstand the one who was protecting, this dude. So in absolute fear and panic, the enemy runs away. We see this in the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah, he says, The enemy wants me to go and meet them so that they can make me scared. Because if I'm afraid, I won't be able to complete what God's doing. And the byproduct of it is, the enemy saw what God had done through Nehemiah because Nehemiah was not distracted by them. And what happened? It says, and the enemy was terrified. So for us, the same thing happens when we face the enemy. We stand before them and if we lift our eyes up to our king, we realize that they don't stand a chance in what's happening. says, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. And say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Can you imagine when you're going up against people and they walk out and start praising God? Like, this is their battle strategy. And you probably look at this and think, is this a joke? It says, and when they began to sing and praise... The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, so that they were uh, rooted. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And it goes on to say, if I'm not mistaken, I think for three days. Jerusalem went and collected the spoils from the battle that they never had to fight. So not only did they win a battle by standing and doing nothing, they got to reap the rewards and the spoils of that battle. And and you see a distinct shift in the beginning of this chapter and towards the middle of the chapter and the end of the chapter as you see the perspective change. Of the king and his people. And what happens is when the perspective changes, so their attitude toward the war changes. When they allow the fear to disappear because they see the bigness of God. And when they start looking at the bigness of God, they see the little enemy in front of them. Which initially started off as great hordes and multitudes that they were powerless against. But now all of a sudden they are prepared to go out, rise early in the morning and stand against them and sing. Because all of a sudden they've lifted their eyes off the obstacles and they've started looking at God and they think this enemy doesn't stand a chance. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? So my encouragement this morning is we need to align our perspective to God's perspective. And how do we do that by looking at what they did? The first thing they did was they were seeking God. So we seek Jesus. Jesus. It says, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And all the cities of Judah came to seek the Lord. They went in search of him. They knew where their help was going to come from. Second, they acknowledged his majesty. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. They allowed themselves to step back and look upon the smallness of the earth in his hands. Lord, you are big. At the point of acknowledging that God is bigger than the horde of multitudes... Something shifts in their hearts. They then began to share testimony. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Have you not done this already? Have we not seen this historically where people face battles like this and you came and delivered them? It's amazing when we share testimony, it stirs our faith for the moments to come. So what happens is we've got to hold on to our testimony so that in a time of trouble, when we go back and start to look at the goodness of God and how He's already come through, we see His faithfulness and then we can hold on to His faithfulness. It's in Hebrews or Romans, hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess for He who promised is faithful. When we look back and we see the testimony of what He's already done, whether in our lives or the lives of those around us, what we do is we start to get stirred up to say, but God is faithful and He's going to do something again. And then they begin to acknowledge His character. Say, Lord, we're in a tough place, but we know that You will hear and save. Not You might hear, that maybe you will hear, that there's a possibility that if you hear, you might decide to come and help. It says, and you will hear and save. As I said uh, in the first week of this year, when talking about Matthew 11:28, 28, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In that place, we cannot offload our burdens into Jesus if we do not know and trust His character. Because it's in knowing and trusting his character that we can offload in comfort and in confidence because you will hear and you will save. If we are hesitant, trust me, we're reluctant to let go. You do not go and fight an army with singing if you are not confident that you're going to win this. If you are hesitant, you go there with swords, you go there prepared, you go there equipped to fight the battle, just in case God doesn't come through. But we do not see that just in case coming through in their outworking. Why? Because they acknowledged His character. Once we acknowledge His character, we know we do not need to carry the outcome. So for me, the picture that I had of that Matthew 11 was that sometimes I stand and I hold my problems and in faith I say, Lord, come and deal with it. But I don't want to let go of it in case he doesn't. At least then I've still got ownership. So I'm saying in faith, please come and sort it out, but I'm not prepared to release it. Actually, in faith, I release it, Lord, and you do what you do. So the moment we've acknowledged his character, we can actually release ourselves of the burden of the outcome. And the thing that's interesting in how they've worded this, for we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is not to say that we are powerless against the enemy that brings opposition. But in comparison to God, we're powerless against the enemy who brings opposition. So we don't have to fight the battle because we trust him to fight the battle, and it's his responsibility because the battle belongs to him. I was reading through Psalm 3 the other day, and David is fleeing from Absalom, his son. His son is coming to attack him. And then in verse 8, it says, Their salvation belongs to the Lord. And and my understanding of this is I'll often say to Shanae, oh, why are you going to go do that now and she's got to go do something for the kids or something and it's you can see it's, it's it's a sacrifice for her to get up and do it and she'll often say to me but it's my privilege it's my privilege to do this it's my privilege to get off the couch when i'm wanting to relax and go and and get them a meal it's my privilege and i realize that salvation is god's privilege the battle is his privilege So therefore, we do not need to carry the outcome. Number six, listen. When uh, Jehaziel shares this word of knowledge that comes from the, the anointing of Holy Spirit upon him, in verse 15 it says, And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Listen. We need to listen to what God's saying. Because the strategy comes from him. So once we're at a point where we recognize that the battle is no longer ours, at that point it's easy to tune our ears and listen. But when we're succumbing to panic and fear, it's amazing how the only voice we hear is that of the enemy. But when we've acknowledged the bigness and the majesty of God and we're no longer carrying the outcome, All of a sudden, hearing the gentleness of his whisper becomes that much easier. And upon hearing his strategy, what did they do? Number seven, they worshipped. They worshipped him. If all of heaven stands in the presence of God and worships, when he engages with us, how can we not do the same? And once they had worshipped, they obeyed in faith. Verse 20, and they rose early in the morning and went out. They were faithful in obedience and they were full of faith in the process. But by the time they got to the point of having to act on what God was saying, their perspective was already aligned to his. Therefore, they knew that they could not lose the battle. We've got to be careful that we don't act before we've aligned our perspective to his. Um, at this meeting on Thursday, um, a guy by the name of Paul Langton, he's a farmer out in uh, Port Shepston side. And he leads uh, a church, I think it's called River of Life Church in Port Shepston. And he shared on the, the kind of balance between work and rest. And he made a statement that really, really struck me. He said, if our perspective of work is wrong, we become slaves to something we should have dominion over. So when God, he went back to Genesis, and when God gave the command of work, it was in the, the, the context of actually ruling over he said, but when our perspective of work is wrong, we become slaves to something we should have dominion over. And, and the difference between being a slave to work and having dominion over work, where it's there to be fruitful and to multiply, is Perspective. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What it is it saying is do not be conformed to the perspective of this world, but be transformed into the perspective of God. So in this, for us, if our perspective is wrong, we actually land up becoming slaves to something we should have dominion over. If God has promised that we will advance when we face opposition we should feel sorry for the opposition because we recognize that the victory has already been promised so going back to psalm 3 remember the context of david he's now Fleeing from his son, and says, O oh Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul there is no salvation for him in God. Often when we face opposition, the, the, the lack of faith of others starts to manifest. Many are saying of my soul that there is no salvation for him in God. I hear this often about healing, I hear it often about uh, circumstance it's hopeless it's gone it's finished cut your losses now and run away the movie kingdom of heaven um, the the priest walks throughout the land constantly condemning everyone Everything's blasphemy, 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 until the, the Islamic army stands outside and surrounds the city, and he starts running through the town screaming, convert to Islam, repent later, convert to Islam, repent later. In the face of opposition, he crumbled. And many in our lives want to sow that lack of faith into us. And it says, Sila, which means pause, reflect on that, Pause says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. And the word glory there also means reputation. So you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my reputation, and the lifter of my head. I often think, what happens if this fails because my reputation as a Christian comes into question? Saying, but God is our reputation. He carries it. It says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. Remember Psalm one twenty one. I lift my eyes up to the hill. Where does my help come from? Again, pause. Just reflect on that. Often, we need to be the ones full of faith when people around us don't have faith on our behalf. Verse five is one of my favorite scriptures says there, I lay down and slept. I awoke again for the Lord sustained me. You don't know in wartime, laying your head down and finding rest is not an easy thing to do. You have to be in a place where you trust in God to lay your head down and find rest. Far too often I find myself lying awake at night, pondering the problems of, of, of my life, consumed by stress. And here David says, I lay down and slept. It was a decision. It says, And I awoke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Who does the battle belong to? God. David's acknowledging that. It says, For you strike all my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, for us that we will have such an incredible heavenly perspective of the things around us. That we will not be people who are overcome by fear, but we will be people who stand in the midst of the enemy and see you standing behind them. Look at the Goliath, look at you and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that stands before us? I pray that we will be a people who do not go out prepared for battle with, with weapons in case you don't show up. When you say, just stand and watch what I'm about to do. Stand and watch how this unfolds. But Lord, it's impossible, but you're the God of the impossible. Lord, there are thousands, but you carry, it says in Isaiah 40, that the nations are like fine dust before you. Father, I pray that we will be a people of a heavenly perspective, eternal perspective. If we are to be ambassadors of heaven here on earth, we better carry a heavenly perspective and relay that to people on earth as we represent you and who you are. Pray this in Jesus' name. I want to end off with a... Uh, just a thing I saw this morning and uh, I'm not going to go into the political stance on this but uh, the lady that won the Australian Open is from Belarus and there's a sanction on, on Russian and, and Belarusian people I don't know how you, what, what, what a person from Belarus is called but so what happens is that their flag and their nationality is omitted from the competition So this lady who won had a white flag next to her name and on the trophy, in, in brackets, it'll always put the nation from which they come, that was left blank. And we as Christians often face pressure from the world to fly a white flag instead of a heavenly one. And face pressure... To omit our nationality as ambassadors of heaven. When we come and take a stance. Now we know the way in which we present him. And which, in the way in which he desires that we present him. But my encouragement to us. Is let us not allow our heavenly citizenship to be omitted from our behavior here on earth. Especially when we are in wartime. Which we are. And let us also be reminded that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against powers and principalities. So the principles that we learn in the Old Testament get reflected in the New Testament. But our enemy is not that of thousands of people. We fight a spiritual battle against a spiritual enemy who is powerless in comparison to our God. And we know that the promise is the victory is ours. If you go read the book of Revelation... The book of Revelation tells us that we win. Let us live with that perspective. If that's what we take out of the book of Revelation, let us take out the fact that we are a victorious people and the enemy does not stand a chance, even though he will try and come against us. Okay. God's be blessed.